Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good evening and welcome to the John Whitmer Show, sponsored by Wink Hartman and Hartman Group of Companies. My name is Jeff Blueball, filling in for John Whitmer this evening. We're happy you joined us tonight here on here at your local liberal resistance headquarters, where we proudly champion the conservative principles of limited government, individual liberty, free enterprise, and traditional values. We are pleased to have you with us this evening. If you'd like to call in, our studio lines are open. You can reach us at 316-869-1330 by email at john at knssradio.com, on Facebook at The John Whitmer Show, and on Twitter at John R. Whitmer. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. We've got another great show planned for tonight. Congressman Ron Estes will discuss his recent trip from the U.S. border and what, if anything, Congress can do to stop the tide of illegal immigrants flowing into our country. House Majority Leader Chris Croft will be with us to preview the 2024 legislative session, and Attorney General Chris Kobach will join us to discuss his office's ongoing efforts to combat organized retail theft in Kansas and the efforts by some states to remove former President Trump from the primary ballot. And, of course, we'll be taking your calls at 316-869-1330. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank the people of the city of Wichita for allowing me the privilege to serve the city council longer than anyone in the last 30 years. I'd like to summarize my experience during my time on council, specifically working with Mayor Whipple. Serving the Wichita City Council is limited to two full terms. When I was first elected to the city council in 2013, it was to fill the last two years of city council member Michael O'Donnell's term after he was elected to the Kansas State Senate. When the state moved elections from April to November, it added another nine months to my term. After being elected for two full terms and one two-year term, then the additional nine months, I had the privilege of serving 10 years and nine months on the city council, just short of 11 years. During my time on council, I served with three mayors, two Democratic mayors, and one Republican mayor. I had the privilege of working on some major projects that have changed the landscape of Wichita for years to come. We were able to build a a new world-class airport and a new airport parking garage with zero tax dollars, mostly paid for by, by, with FAA user funds collected since the 1950s. We built a top-notch riverfront baseball stadium 
financed by star bonds, which keeps tax dollars in Wichita versus sending them to Topeka, and we're able to secure federal funding for a new downtown multimodal parking garage. We've been able to foster unprecedented growth in the Delano area. We completed major infrastructure projects on on Southwest Street, the state's iron workhorse of manufacturing, and those improvements helped companies grow and create jobs. We insured fully stayed in Wichita and made Wichita their world headquarters. We accomplished other major infrastructure projects addressing flooding in South Wichita, rebuilding South Meridian, and updating 235 and Kellogg for the first time since it was built in the late 1950s. We also have put several other infrastructure projects into work, such as updating the K-42 and West Street intersections, widening Southwest Street, and bringing over 800,000 square feet of new warehousing to the Iron Horse Industrial Park in South Wichita. I've had the privilege of working with some great mayors in the city of Wichita, worked with former, Carl, former Mayor Carl Brewer as well as former Mayor Jeff Longwell. Unfortunately, projects like that, the ones that I've mentioned, have not been the focus of former Mayor Brandon Whipple. Under Whipple's tenure, we have gone from growing business to growing bureaucracy, growing government. The focus of Mayor Whipple's leadership has been pushing of political agendas. It has been growing rules, regulations, and red tape. His agenda is one that favors the radical left and not the city of Wichita. More boards, ordinances, and quasi-judicial boards have been created during this administration than at any other time. He's created rules over issues that were already protected under federal or state law. He didn't do these things for the city. He did it for his own political agenda, just like the non-discrimination ordinance, which added gender identity as a protected class and put natural-born males in athletic competition against females. One of Whipple's advances that he is most proud of is the Government Ethics Advisory Board for the city. Then he was found in violation of it for trying to use his political influence to circumvent law and order. Not only that, but he was disrespectful to a member of law enforcement and has yet to apologize to that officer. Mayor Whipple threw decorum out the window by antagonizing speakers from the bench, immaturely arguing and debating with them, as well as strong-arming anyone who was opposed to his views. From his own bench at City Hall, he threw papers at me and whenever I questioned his political assassins for trying to humiliate people with opposing views on social media. He used his leadership role to call emergency meetings to try to shut down businesses and mandate masks in Wichita. While it has been a few years since the COVID lockdowns, the effects can still be felt. Business shut down and people lost their jobs. None of this can be replaced and the falls of the failed leadership of Brandon Whipple and Joe Biden. The recent campaign finance ordinance was just another example of how to bend the rules to try to shut down transparency from business contributions, yet he was just fine allowing political action committees to continue to contribute. If you want to address bundling issues, why don't you look at the big dollar contributions made to Mayor Whipple's spousal pact? Several contributions of $5,000 from one source to his wife's pack versus the $500 contributions that could be made in the normal city council campaigns. The very kind of contributions 
He just outlawed for everyone else. Once again, liberals do as they say and not as they do. This was not an emergency meeting, only a mechanism to try to lean the rules to the left and in his favor. Serving under three mayors with numerous council members, I do not believe the city council is partisan unless they have partisan leadership continually pushing political agenda. I do not believe the council members to be partisan. I believe they vote and represent the districts and the opinions of their constituents. However, Brandon Whipple made it partisan and only advocated for himself and not Wichita's. I look forward to a new day with Mayor-elect Lily Wu and the addition of council members J.V. Johnson and Dalton Glasscock to step in and lead the city by the will of Wichita's they represent versus political agenda. Next week's guest host will be Senator Renee Erickson. Also, starting next week, we will resume our weekly under-the-dome legislative updates from Topeka. So I understand we have a first caller. Um, David, you're on the air. Hi. How are you doing, David? I want to thank you for your service uh, to the city of Wichita. But my question is, what was your biggest challenge with working with Brandon Whipple? Well, thank you very much. And the most challenging times, David, was probably during the whenever we had you know we went through COVID and we were having these emergency meetings and and we were facing so many different issues about you know shutting down business or mask mandates and then you know we we had the, the, the rioters and and you know I understand the peaceful protest but a lot of that was not peaceful protest and. Um, I just I, I felt like he was not supportive of our law enforcement, and he was more toward, um, you know, some of the chaos that we had during that time. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, I wanted to thank you for your service. Thanks for all you've done. Thank, thank you very much, David. I appreciate you calling in. Next caller is Ricky. Ricky, how are you doing this evening? How are you doing, Jeff? Good. Hey, thank you for your service. Uh, what needs to be done to uh, – as far as the new mayor coming in, what, what what's her game plan to get more cops on the streets of Wichita to improve the response time and just overall coverage for the city? Yeah, that's a great question, Ricky, and and it's been very unfortunate. We're now at around 110 officers short, and we have started some new recruitment efforts, but it, it, it's just it, it's been a lagging thing since I first was elected to the council. My first year in 2013, I voted against the budget over trying to get 10 more officers out there. And you can see this has just grown to now we're, you know, we're well over 100 officers short. And, you know, hopefully with the bonuses that we just approved for police and, you know, we get a solid, strong contract going there. Hopefully we can start to fill those positions because it was very unfortunate a lot of times that we were. Um, we were just training police officers, and then they would go, and they, they, they could make the same money as a Sedgwick County jailer, or they would go work for one of our suburban police departments. So it is very important. Um, we've got to take care of those police officers out there. And, you know, um, I, I appreciate you asking the question and realizing how important it is, and, and we've just got to back our law enforcement here in Wichita. So thank you very much for the question, Ricky. We've got one other qu- caller, Ed. Ed, how are you doing this evening? Pretty good. You got you here? Yeah, yeah. How are you doing, Ed? Oh, I, yeah. Thanks for taking my call. No, it's about the border. I, I keep were they all these people, politicians and news people, were they asleep the four years of Trump? Yeah. Ed, the I'm. The border was closed. Yep. 
Ed, I, and then they came in, and all I see on the news is how so how are we going to do it? How are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? What do you, and I'm yelling. I'm lucky I might have got a TV because I keep yelling at the screen. Close the border. Ed, I appreciate your call, and, and your call is perfect timing because with us in the studio now is our own 4th District Congress, Congressman Ron Estes. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's great to be on with you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I understand you just returned from the border. Is it as bad as it appears? That's right. We had 65 members of Congress down with uh, Speaker Johnson and uh, walking through the the process there at Eagle Pass. And Eagle Pass is kind of ground central for what's going on on the border. Uh, Basically, that's the point where more and more numbers go across. So we we hear now on average, uh, we're seeing at that point, checkpoint at Eagle Pass, 1,400 people a day coming across that border. Wow. And when they had their Christmas surge, which the 10 days around Christmas, the cartels were pushing more people across, uh, they were actually doing 2,400 people a day uh, through that process, through that that, that sector, that 240-mile sector, uh, which obviously encompasses a good part of the border, but uh, it, there's still a whole lot more of the border that other people cross as well. And so it, it's a strain that's being put on our Customs and Border Patrol folks to be able to process those people. Uh, and in the meantime, when they had the big push going on uh, at the end of December, there were no Border Patrol agents out patrolling. They were having to process all these people and work them through and send them elsewhere throughout the country. So we literally do not know who else came across the border during that time because there were no Border Patrol agents and, out there. And that's what's very scary. Yeah. So I understand you witnessed some people actually crossing the border in front of you? It really did. It's a it's a disgusting thing to see. But as we were standing there, members of Congress and and the Capitol Police and, and the, the law enforcement there, people just calmly walked across the river. They climbed up the bank. And and then the process is that they're just put into a van, carried off to a facility, which we saw a very nicely set up facility, uh, and they're they're processed. Basically, they try to get identification for them. They try to uh, uh, find out where they came from, get information around that, and then they feed them and clothe them, and and they can keep them in the facility and and try to research whether there's uh, any if they're gang members or criminals, what's the status of them. And then they just release them into the country. I mean, it's, that's the disgusting part about what the president. So, how do you even know who someone is? I mean, they're they're not carrying credentials, I assume, across so, the border. Actually, surprisingly enough, some of them are. I mean, it's gotten so bad the way the cartels control the border over there. They actually go out and advertise to countries around the world, and basically, it's 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 a heyday for them. I mean, they literally the numbers that we were told on average they're in Eagle Pass. Uh, in that Del Rio sector, the the cartels make $42 million a week from the fees that they charge people coming across the border. And, and if they don't pay, then they make them be servants or slaves once they get to the country. So literally in that one sector over the course of a year, it's over a billion dollars that that cartel that controls that sector. And the cartels are split up, and they control different sectors uh, through that process. And, and so... Uh, that's that's a a sad part that we see what what happens our our laws we, we're a country of immigrants and and we should never stop that we we have more legal immigrants that come into the United States than any other country in the world but this illegal immigrants that cross because they want to come in 
And we have people coming from over 170 different countries now. Um, so the cartels bring them in. I mean, Eastern Europe, Africa, Asia, uh, not just Central America and South America and Mexico that come across the borders. And, and so what the cartels, one of the things they'll do is they'll have them fly to Mexico. So obviously they buy a ticket, fly to Mexico, like they're on vacation, and then cross the border. So, so you know, we know things are coming across the border. We've seen, um, I understand, some weapons or bomb-making materials have come across. We know drugs. We know, we know the fentanyl. Do you believe that cartels are making more on the illegals crossing the border or drugs that are coming across the border? Do you have any ideas to that? It's, it's kind of tough to tell uh, because we don't know the total expanse of how much fentanyl and other drugs are getting across the border uh, or the expanse of the gang members and or terrorists that are coming across. We, we know they are, they're getting through. Uh, because we're catching some, uh, but we know there's others that are getting through. We know that uh, we've seen in, in the last three years, the number of fentanyl deaths has skyrocketed in the United States. I mean, literally, the number is about 290 people a day in the United States die from fentanyl overdose. And, and if you think about that, that's the equivalent of a, of a commercial airplane. And, and so if a commercial airplane crashed every day, and killed 290 people. The president would do something about it, but he's hiding this under the rug and not addressing it, is not forcing his his uh, Homeland Security uh, Administrator to address this. Do, do you believe, in, even during the peak of COVID, do you believe we were losing more people to COVID than what we have these fentanyl deaths? Well, if you look at fentanyl's now gotten so pervasive, and it's not just somebody who thinks they're taking fentanyl, but other drugs are being laced with it, whether it's you're taking cocaine, uh, actually, whether you're you're just having it around your house, people that do have it around their house and their kids get a hold of it or or neighbors or somebody that they invite over, uh, family members. And it's a it's a sad case to see that. Wow. Well, kind of switching gears here. Congress faces two shutdown deadlines with no action yet on spending. January 19th deadline for four spending bills and February 2nd deadline for the other eight appropriation measures, um, what, what are your what are your thoughts here? So one of the things, twenty twenty three was a, a pivotal year. I mean, it was a, a, a turning point year because we borrowed more money during twenty twenty three than we spent on domestic on, on discretionary programs, uh, which is the first time ever that's happened. And and so uh, we've got to do things differently, and and that's why we have two different funding dates instead of. Typically, the approach has been right before Christmas, have funding stopped for all 12 government programs and and uh, risk a shutdown. Now we broke it up uh, and having the uh, uh, analysis of four different agencies first and then and then the other eight. Uh, I've actually uh, gotten an update from the speaker today, as a matter of fact, that they've actually agreed to a top line number on the spending bill, okay. um, which which is good because it's the top-line number that was agreed to on the debt limit bill passed back in May. So it's not higher than that. That's one thing that's that's an improvement over the normal absolutely, process. Absolutely. Normally the process has been, if you can't come to an agreement, you can just throw more money at, at the problem, and, and magically everybody will agree. Enough people will agree to it to get it to pass. Yeah. Well, hey, this is, um, this is Jeff Blueball, and we're with – Congressman Ron Estes this morning filling in for for John Whitmer on the John Whitmer Show. 
The, the new year is only a few days old, and already we've broken a record. Our national debt has surpassed $34 trillion. And in just the week since Christmas, we've accumulated nearly $100 billion in new debt. Is there any hope of cutting the spending in D.C.? So that that's really the, an important part. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about 2023 being a pivotal year in terms of the amount of debt that we incurred. Right now, every American citizen owes $100,000 in debt, everyone. And, and that's – and if you look at it from a standpoint of a taxpayer or a tax return, uh, which may include a family, may include a couple, uh, that's over $250,000 for tax returns uh, that are owed in, in debt. So one of the things that's great about us actually focusing on doing different process for the appropriations process is that we can actually start to bend some of this spending curve down. We've got to do that. I mean, it, it'd be irresponsible to continue down the path that's been going on for decades now, uh, but we've got to stop this and we've got to turn it around. Otherwise, our kids and grandkids are going to have this massive debt and they won't enjoy the freedoms of America. You know, I, I remember in the mid to late 80s and I was in high school and I think the number was seven or $8,000. Now $100,000 per person for national debt. I mean, just reining it in. is. Yeah. is, is a good. I sure, certainly appreciate everything you're doing for us, Congressman. Thank you for joining us this evening. And if folks want to reach out to you, they can contact or they can find you at Twitter at Rep. Ron Estes and online at estes.house.gov. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Those are our those are official sites, and you can actually sign up for a weekly newsletter and and get that through our official site. It's it's one of those that we can't sell your email address, so we wouldn't want to do that anyway. But uh, it's a good way to to get facts out. That's a that's a big piece about what we want to do is get the truth out of what's going on. We appreciate everything you're doing, Congressman. Thank you for joining us this evening. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. A local Victoria's Secret lost $30,000 a month to theft, authorities say. The Cabela's has reportedly lost more merchandise than any other time in the nation. They're not in, they're not in San Francisco, Chicago, or New York. 
the way you might assume. They're right here in Wichita, Kansas. Joining us now to discuss the ongoing program is Kansas or problem is Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, great to be with you, Jeff. My pleasure. So um, this is just a, a major problem. Um, what kind of things are you are you are you seeing, or what, what kind of potential legislation, or or um, how, how can how can we just curtail this, put a stop to it? Yeah, it's called uh, organized retail crime, and it is a phenomenon of the last few years, and it's something that I talked about a lot during the election, uh, you know, more a little over a year ago um, when I became attorney general, and that, that we needed to address it. Um, it is a, a phenomenon where you have in, instead of people stealing things just for personal use, shoplifters, you know, stealing food or items that they themselves are going to use, you have the um, organized uh, stealing of large quantities of things that are typically resold on the internet, and it's a it's a criminal enterprise that is done to provide cash for the members of the organized retail crime unit. And so uh, it, it's something that has to be addressed all over the country. And in fact, I've testified in front of Congress about this since becoming Kansas Attorney General. But it's something we're addressing here in Kansas in particular because um, I think one thing that many listeners might find surprising is Kansas is one of the top 10 states uh, as a victim in terms of dollars lost of organized retail crime. So we're right up there with you know Texas, California, Illinois, New York. And then you have Kansas and Missouri right in the middle of the country, which are, you know, neither one of us is a, an enormous state population-wise. And uh, there, there are various theories as to why that's true, but the bottom line is it's a problem. Uh, I went to the legislature in the 2023 legislative session, asked them for authority so that the attorney general's office could uh, tackle this issue squarely by, you know, being the primary, being one of you know, one of two uh, prosecuting authorities. Normally, uh, the the county is the prosecuting authority, and they have to ask the attorney general's office in. But the new legislation says that if you've got multiple counties affected by a, a series of criminal occurrences, which is typically how it works with organized retail crime, multiple counties, then the attorney general's office or the county can step in. And, and we are uh, stepping in already, and, and we have the Kansas Bureau of Investigation um, looking into multiple instances of organized retail crime. So uh, we're already on the case, and uh, you know I, I expect listeners will hear uh, in the very near future about some of the uh, charges being brought against some of these perpetrators in in Kansas. But it's it's a very real problem. Yeah, it's just amazing to me to hear that Kansas and Missouri are in those top ten. Kansas lost six hundred and forty-two million dollars in stolen goods and. 2021 and now right there in the top 10 that's just amazing so Wichita, go ahead yeah it's really uh staggering and you know i think many uh listeners have seen it or have seen some of the certainly i think all of us have seen the results of it and that is that you go into your uh your your local pharmacy um especially if it's one of the larger chains and you'll see that a whole bunch of items that used to be available on the shelf are now behind plastic or you have to pick up a little card and then take it somewhere and then you get the item. That's because organized retail theft in those same chains all over the country uh, has you know, resulted in people just sweeping all those items off and then the, uh, the perpetrators uh, pushing out the door. It's called a push out where they basically load their cart uh, or their bag with a whole bunch of higher valued items and then walk right out the door without paying for it. So it's it's a big problem, and it reflects a lot of you know things going on in our society. It reflects the fact that 
um, well, first of all, many of the retailers themselves are no longer trying to stop thieves at the door, um, you know, citing the risk of having a violent uh, incident. Um, and that's certainly the, the primary justification they give. But I, at the same time, you also have many, um, you know, store clerks themselves who are frustrated by this. You know, they're tired of watching people uh, walk out the door with, uh, with, with impunity. And so it's a, it, it's, there's a cultural thing going on, too, where it's, it's becoming okay in some parts of this country just to uh, ignore the law and, and walk out without paying. Wichita Police Chief Joe Sullivan recently told Sedgwick County Commissioners that some large retail stores in Wichita have the highest rates for retail theft, either regionally or nationally. Why do you think Wichita is such a hot spot? You know, it's a, I, I don't have, a, 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 you know, obviously a precise answer for that. It, it is a really interesting question. Um, there are, you know, several theories. One is that uh, you, ha- you know, Wichita is right on, uh, you know, I-35, and then it's just kind of a crossroads um, for a lot of things moving through the country, including fentanyl. You know, Wichita also has a very a relatively high incidence of some of the fentanyl arrests we've made uh, over the last few years. So it, it could be a, sort of a, a, a criminal highway, as it were, uh, both for the drug trade and organized retail crime. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, Wichita has been hit hard by organized retail crime, and that's one of the reasons, uh, as Attorney General, I'm focusing so much attention on it. I, I intend to stop it through deterrence. We're going to start putting these uh, criminals behind bars. I, I appreciate everything you're doing. What, it, it's surprising to me. You go to Walmart and maybe Goddard. You go to Newmarket Square, relatively um, – you know, places you don't expect to be a high theft and you can't even get a razor blade. You can't even, you know, every, everything you've, you've got to call an associate to get these things. It's just, it's very unfortunate that it's, it's put a burden on the rest of us. It, it really has. And I think most of us uh, are frustrated by the notion that these criminals are getting away with it. And, you know, we intend in, in the Kansas attorney general's office and the Kansas Bureau of Investigation to, bring state law enforcement resources to send a message that, you know, you're not going to get away with it uh, to the criminals. But, you know, I think it's also going to require retailers, too, to, you know, recognize that, hey, the rest of us in society uh, do not want to see this lax attitude toward uh, toward people who steal in these stores. And, you know, again, this isn't the the old, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago shoplifter who steals a couple of items uh, and, and shoves them into his pocket intending to use them for himself. This is pushing out a cart full of things uh, with impunity and just knowing that the, that he's not going to get arrested. And it's, it's really staggering. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds like an, um, an enterprise. Absolutely. Is there anything our legislators in Topeka can do this session to help stop this? Yes. In fact, we'll be uh, making an announcement uh, later this week uh, on that very subject. So the legislature was very helpful last session in giving the, KBI and the attorney general, you know, basically the lead, if you will, in in going after this by allowing us to take on those multi-county cases. And the other thing we're going to be asking for now that we've been putting some of these cases together is we need a a tougher penalty. Normally theft is, you know, not one of the highest level crimes in the book, but this isn't garden variety theft. This is, this is organized retail theft at a much larger scale. So we'll be asking the legislature to give us a, a new category of theft uh, that carries a higher penalty because, you know, when we in- invest all of these uh, law enforcement resources and in going after these groups, 
Uh, we want to make sure that we, you know, there's a severe penalty and we can put them behind bars for, for enough time to significantly deter these criminals. I, I appreciate you understanding the importance of this and looking at ways that we can stop this. So we're talking with Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach. This is Jeff Flubal filling in for guest host for the John Whitmer Show. General, you're a constitutional scholar, you taught constitutional law, and you served as Secretary of State. I have to ask you about the efforts by Colorado and Maine to ban former President Trump from appearing on their state's primary ballots. Is this even legal? No, it's it's not legal. And uh, as your listeners may be aware, the United States Supreme Court recently granted cert, which is legalese for they agreed to take the case um, coming out of Colorado regarding whether the state may uh, exclude Trump from the presidential ballot. And this is a this is a clear constitutional question to me. And, and the answer is absolutely the state does not have this authority. Um, you know, the state is, is basing Colorado and Maine are basing their uh, judgment on the, the um, uh, 14th Amendment, which had a clause in it that said that people who participated in the recent insurrection, namely the Civil War, uh, couldn't run for federal office. And the, that's one of the reasons why the left has been using this term insurrection, insurrection to refer to a, a protest in the uh, United States Capitol. And nowhere in that protest was there any threat that there would be you know, military action or taking of arms against the United States government, which is what an insurrection is. Nowhere was there any real perception that the, um, the United States government was about to cave in or was actually threatened in any way. But they're trying to broaden the definition of insurrection to call Trump and you know someone who is involved in it. Um, when of course all Trump did, even if you could characterize that as an insurrection, which you can't, all Trump did was was give a speech uh, and urged people to be peaceful uh, in their rally. Um, so anyway, it's, it's it doesn't meet the constitutional definition of insurrection. And even if it did, you still would have to have a jury or a trial, a, a jury trial presumably, or a bench trial, some court concluding that Trump did actually participate in an insurrection, which has never happened. You can't have you know, a secretary of state of Maine uh, or a court secondhand in Colorado saying, yeah, it looks like an insurrection to us. So there are multiple constitutional problems with, with this theory on which they're trying to which they're trying to use to exclude Trump from the ballot. So I'm pretty confident, and indeed I'm very confident, that the United States Supreme Court uh, will, um, will will put this down pretty quickly. So the, the president, President Trump, was never charged with insurrection that I know of. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, so, so even when the U.S. Justice Department had the opportunity to bring charges against the president, they never brought any such charges. So the notion that um, you know, a secretary, an unelected secretary of state in Maine, but they don't elect their, their secretary of state there, by the way, um, could just unilaterally declare in her view that an insurrection uh, had occurred and Trump was guilty of it is just preposterous. These, these are things that, you know, you hear of in third world countries, never thought you'd hear about this in the United States trying to disenfranchise millions of voters. It's ironic that Joe Biden and his party are the ones talking about defending democracy while attempting to remove a major party's candidate from the ballot. seems very yeah, that's hypocritical. A great point. That's a great point. Uh, the, the defenders of democracy are those of us in court and uh, the regular Americans who are you know, pointing out the, the absurdity of this, you know, this attack on Trump being on the ballot. 
and, and people like yourself who are saying, no, the, the, democracy means that we, the people, get to decide who we're going to vote for. You don't take people off the ballot and then say, hey, I'm defending democracy. It's just an absurd idea that somehow Trump is a threat to democracy. You know, they, what they really mean is Trump uh, advocates policies that they don't like, and therefore he's a threat to democracy. Well, if, if that's the case, then every one of us conservatives is apparently a threat to democracy because we also believe in election security. We believe in uh, the policies that President Trump fought for. Uh, so it's, it's really quite crazy to say that they're defending democracy. General, thank you for joining us this evening. If folks want to reach out to you, they can find you on Twitter at Chris Kobach1787 or go online at ag.ks.gov, correct? That is correct. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, my friend. My pleasure, Jeff. The 2024 legislative session begins tomorrow, and many are getting ready for the busy months ahead. Joining us now to preview the upcoming legislative session is Representative Chris Croft. He serves as the House Majority Leader. Representative, thank you for joining us this evening. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so you all, you all excited for this week? What do you see some of the major le- legislative goals for the 2024 session? Yeah, Jeff, I, I will tell you, I am actually very excited that we're finally back to work and uh, getting out back to work together. You know, most of these guys have, um, you know, legislators are part-time, but they, I will tell you what, watching them this year in the off season be totally engaged for the people of Kansas has been actually very motivating for me. So I, that's why I'm so excited to get back in because all the great work that's been done in this off session and getting ready for this. Uh, to go after your question specifically, um, you know, one of the things we did differently last time was we, um, our speaker and the Senate president sat down and all of us went around and talked with everybody. But out of all of that came this, this concept of a, of the better way uh, co- commitment with, with Kansans. And we basically grouped everything that we heard, put it into eight categories and then said, okay, this is kind of the got the, the roadmap to where we're going. It didn't dictate bills, but what it did is it kind of packaged things. So we could kind of, so we could focus. And uh, the number one thing there is, um, is, is it's your money. And I will tell you, in this offseason, we went around and talked to everybody. And again, the number one thing we heard at the doorstep was how much people are hurting out there. And, and you heard it. In, uh, the, the attorney general talked a lot about, you know, what's going on out there and how people are hurting and what's happening. And, and I'll tell you, we heard the same thing. And so I, I will tell you that category is our category. We're going after taxes and trying to get money back into the hands of the people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I get the same feedback. The, the Biden economic plan and, and inflation just doesn't work for Americans, and and unfortunately, it's 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 hurting a lot of good people out there. Um, any 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 discussion about the single rate tax plan this session? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what the um, the speaker and the Senate president they went around um, with a, um, Americans for Prosperity and talking. They did a tour talking about that single rate tax. Um, all over the state. And um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely there on the agenda for us, as well as property taxes. Uh, we want to make sure, though, that the plan that we do doesn't just put taxes on others. So the plan that was presented by the Democrats actually just raised taxes on on uh, farming and the agricultural community, which is ridiculous. Yep. So and on businesses. And we just can't do that. This has got to be a comprehensive plan. And, you know, we, we're listening to the seniors out there, you know, for a long time. 
Um, you know, they've been talking about how they're just – these property valuations are just pushing people out, and it's happening. And we're seeing it all over the place. In fact, what you've seen right now, the, the uh, U-Haul and United Van Lines just released their study again. And what happened again? We're number eight on the list for departure uh, states. So people are leaving us instead of growing. We're not going with the direction we need to go because it's too expensive with all the taxes and everything else that's out there. You know, the, the the property tax and the way properties are assessed, I hear so much feedback about there's no consistency. Um, you know, we just it, it's just it seems like a little bit of a free for all. And 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 of all entities within the state, whether it's law enforcement, um, no, no, no matter what your profession is, there's some kind of of professional professional standards. And it, it doesn't seem like with with, with the property tax. That, that that they really, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly understand who an appraiser reports to exactly, or or if there's any kind of, um, um, how how exactly you know that works. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, it's kind of interesting as you go through all that, and you know, you hear from the local, you know, that the, the local guys out there, like, hey, you know, these the inflation is, you know, driving our costs up. And you go, yeah, I get it, but at some point, somebody's got to tighten the belt. Because it's actually the person that the taxpayer that's paying it twice. They're paying for the increase in the inflation at the government level, the local and the state government. And at the same time, they're paying an increase in inflation on their own grocery bills. I'll tell you, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've said this before. I, I actually love to go to the grocery store. Um, and and as I walked through the grocery store, you used to see everybody in there, and they were just – they had full carts. And now people are no longer they're, – they're no longer shopping on brand. They're completely shopping on price, and they don't – it doesn't matter about quality. It's about price, and I rarely see a full card anymore. No, no, it is just amazing the impact on the local pr- people, and that's what this, this property valuation is doing. It's just driving, and they keep raising how much money they want, and nobody's willing to take an appetite suppressant and help. You, you're absolutely you're absolutely right, leader. You know, and, and I'm a real estate professional, and I see it every day. And 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 unfortunately, you know, in our economy, a lot of times is built on buying and selling real estate or or building real estate. And it seems like a lot of that has just come to a stance. Even even if the property's paid for, the tax burden that you have every month is just more more than what a lot of people can handle right now. It is, and you know, in your business, you know, you you've probably seen this too. We talk about affordable housing. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how much the local uh, requirements are about, you, you know, um, you know, when you have to do the permits and everything else. And you're so and you're by the time you actually before you ever build a house, you've already spent almost fifty thousand dollars just getting the land prep. So how in the world can we make housing affordable when all these hidden taxes are out there? We've got to get control of all of this stuff so that way people can get back to, you know, affording things. You're absolutely right. This is Jeff Fluball, the John Whitmer guest host for the John Whitmer Show. I have with me Representative Chris Croft. He serves as the House Majority Leader. Chris, or leader, I appreciate you know everything that you're you're helping us out with. Business leaders say tax relief is needed to boost the Kansas economy. We all know that. What else? Can, what can we do about some of these burdens that that unfortunately are, are hurting so many people right now? Well, yeah, I mean, and we talked about some of this stuff. Is uh, we, we're looking at key ways to try to control this whole va- va- valuation thing that's going on, as well as though we've got other things that are out there, 
like childcare. Childcare is an issue, um, but it's the rules and regs that are making this so difficult and driving the price and driving people out of that business, which makes it harder for folks to go back to work. It's just it's mind-boggling what we're, what we're willing to do. And right now it's it's three to one, and you go, you know, I don't want to make it ridiculous. I mean, obviously we don't want to just make it unlimited, but at the same time. You know, imagine if it was just four to one, like everyone else around us, that kind of makes sense as we're going through that. Now you have four people trying to pay the salary of one instead of three, and then we can pay people a little bit more to do the things they need to do. But those are all things driven by regulatory requirements. We tried to solve that last time, and unfortunately that lost at the ballot box. That is what people voted for. But those are some of the things. These rules and regs are out of control We've got to figure out a way to get them, or else what we're going to have to do is start writing more things into law, and that's not a good way to do business either. That gives government more control, and we, we don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, we want to make sure we turn it over to the people and let the people do great work. I, I, absolutely. You know, the government's got to roll out more red carpet and less red tape because the bureaucracy yeah. is just, it's just, it's just suffocating so many small businesses. It's so unfortunate. Yeah. So obviously the governor has made Medicaid expansion her number one priority this session. Any chance mm. of that bill gains any traction? I don't think so. I mean, as we're, I mean, she's going to continue to do what she's doing. It's kind of interesting they go through it. Um, every time we hear the argument, it's a different argument, and they're searching for a problem for this to solve, and they haven't really done a good job of that. And I mean, I sat at a dinner the other night, and by the time we were done with dinner, we had four different reasons for why we were doing it. None of them, it was actually solving anything. Um, the, in fact, at the end of the day, it was, well, you know, it's going to pay for things that aren't being paid for, but that's not completely true in there. And then it was, well, it's really more just about economic development. Again, I mean, we can talk about economic development, but is that what we want to do is put all this money into that and actually solve the problem? This is what I find, you know, after coming out of the military for 30 years and what's been just mind boggling to me in this process is that many times we have solutions that are running around searching for a problem instead of starting with identifying the problem and going after that problem. And, and I believe that this is one of those things. The, the governor would like you to believe Medicaid expansion is the answer to all of our state's program. Heck, she. She thinks it's probably the answer to anyone's problems. I, I assume that she would she would pass um, protection for for male pattern baldness if she could. I'm, I'm just waiting to hear her Medicaid expansion and and see if it will resolve our drought of problems. Yeah, it, well, I will tell you this: our speaker has been very adamant about this and done a great job of preparing the caucus uh, for this fight. We know this is her fight. This is what she's gonna she's gonna lay the election on this thing instead of solving the actual problem for the people. And um, and so for her, this is all about politics instead of getting about the business of taking care of the people of the state. Yeah. Well, we're, we're certainly proud of the sp the speaker and the president of the Senate being being from our local area here. We we certainly like seeing that. Any any fun, Mr. Leader? Any fun bills? Anything anything out of the norm coming up coming up this year that we wouldn't expect to see? Oh well, I'm sure there's always going to be some things out there. I mean, one of the Things that I mean, we're going to kick off things tomorrow with a resolution supporting Israel, and then we're going to continue down this path of, of getting after it fast. We don't. We're going to try to get this thing done in 90 days, like we want to, so we can get back out there and start talking to the people again. Uh, for me personally, one of the things I, I'm really driving on is I would love to see us reward people that work rather than trying to get people to come back to work. I look. I love the fact that there's people out there working hard. 
Um, there's some things we're working on that maybe we do a tax credit for people that are working overtime pay where they don't get charged their state income tax. I mean, these are some interesting ideas out there. Some of them still need to be fully developed. Um, and that process is going on right now as we talk. Uh, some of the other things we're working on, too, is, is uh, you know, the foreign land ownership. And we don't have a whole lot of that in Kansas right now. But here's the thing. Everybody around us is, is – Well, Oklahoma things. sure does. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. And, and, and these guys are all going through things right now. And as they're starting to do stuff, it could push people our way. So we're, we don't – what I love about what we do in Kansas is we, we get after it and look at it but, and try to solve things before they necessarily become the major problem. So we identify the problem. And if we can get it solved before it becomes a major problem for us, I would love to do that. And I think that's where we're going with this thing, trying to be reasonable. But here's, you know, as you had the attorney general on earlier, one of the things we're after, and what I appreciate, we, I spent an hour and a half with his, his team the other day. We are working towards making sure we give teeth in the proper area so they can do their part of the job. And uh, many times that stuff, that's not thought of. And, and that's what I've appreciated with this attorney general is for us to sit down and talk about things ahead of time so we're prepared and make sure that we've, we've given everybody the necessary tools to accomplish what we expect. Well, Mr. Leader, thank you very much for joining us this evening. If folks want to reach out to you, they can find you on Twitter at croft for kansas and online at croft kansascom correct? Absolutely. Chris, best of luck with the upcoming session. Thank you for joining us this evening. Appreciate it, Jeff. Have a great night, and thanks to everybody for uh, all your support, and, and keep uh, keep encouraging us. We, we could sure use that as we go through this fight. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Next week's guest host is Senator Renee Erickson. Also, starting next week, we will resume our weekly Under the Dome legislative updates from Topeka. In the meantime, have a great week and carry on, fellow deplorables. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 